Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome along to the Big Red Bench with me, Valerie Wheeler, with you until 7pm tonight. We have plenty of live sport happening, which is amazing. So joining me on the Big Red Bench tonight is para-table tennis athlete Colin Judge. And we have para-cycling athlete Martin Gordon to chat about their chosen sport. And the new Paralympics campaign, The Next Level. They're raising some fundraising for the Paralympics. Also, we're going to be joined by Anyo Garman and soccer sister Skills Hub and the Women's National League, which started today, and the Ireland squad. We have a reaction from Cork City Games last night Colin O'Sullivan was there the League of Ireland is back and we look ahead to Ireland's World Cup qualifiers to take the second step against Luxembourg at 7.45 all that and more on the Big Red Bench on Cork Star FM Alright, so good evening and welcome along to the bench with me, Valerie. We have plenty of live sports, so let's kickstart the show. Uh, Stephen Kenny goes in search of his first win as the Republic of Ireland manager again tonight. Having lost at Serbia midweek, the boys in green host Luxembourg in Group A of the World Cup qualifier. Uh, 19-year-old forward Troy Parrott has been brought into the squad for the injured Aaron Connolly. Although many are pleased with how they say performed on Wednesday, uh, Kenny says the style has to be accompanied by results played very very well and played completely differently than Irish teams would have in the last decade really away from home against good nations so what we have to try and do is turn them performances just make them winning performances We'll hear more from Stephen Kinney a little later on the show. So kickoff at the Aviva is quarter date with Serbia hosting Portugal at the exact same time. Now, the new Women's National League season got underway this afternoon and Cork City were in action. They were in action with Galway United and had finished a three-all draw. I was just looking it up on Twitter online. Um, now to rugby, we have live action this weekend. Leinster and Munster are tied at six points apiece at halftime in the Guinness Pro 14 final at the RDS. Ross Byrne has kicked two penalty for Leo Collins' side, while Joey Carberry has sent two, two through the post for the Reds. Johan van Grand's side are looking to win their first piece of silverware in 10 years, while their opponents will be hoping to complete a four in a row. So Neil Tracy is at the RDS for us. Let's take a listen. Leinster 6, Munster 6, half time at the RDS and somehow this Pro 14 final is a level game defending champions Leinster though will be hugely frustrated not to be in front they dominated both territory and possession in the opening stages and they led by 6 points to nil after just 12 minutes Ross Byrne taking advantage of a series of Munster penalties, they let Munster back into it shortly afterwards though Joey Carberry making it 6-3 on the quarter hour it sparked Munster into life but they act- lacked any real accuracy on their couple of entries to the 22, Leinster Munster raised the intensity again and came agonisingly close to the opening try in 26 minutes. Scott Fardy held up over the line by Gavin Coombs. Munster were really scrambling by now though and a few minutes later needed a Keith Earls intercept to deny another dangerous Leinster attack. They survived that. Conor Murray and Joey Carberry both coming on to miss kick attempts to draw them level before Carberry landed one final penalty on the stroke of half time to tie it up at the break. 40 huge minutes ahead. It's Leinster 6. Munster 6. 
That's Neil Tracy there. It's great to hear a bit of atmosphere, isn't it? I know the tunes are absolutely opening the RDS for members of the media and the players, but it's great, a bit of atmosphere in games. Hopefully we'll all be back very soon. Now turning your attention to golf, Stephanie Meadow is eight shots off the lead heading into day three at Golf Kia's Classic on the LPGA Tour. The Ulster one will tee off in one under par just before half past six Irish time with Korea's in Bay Park leading by one stroke at nine under. Also, Leona Maguire resumes is two over par after one hole today. Now, Gray McDowell tees off his third round at the Corrales Punta Cana from around, uh, what is it, around half past five this evening. And um, we'll keep an eye on him. The former US Open champion is due out on the course in Puerto Rico around now. Um, now, that is that. We will keep an eye on the Munster game. We will be hearing more from Neil by the end of the show. But let's kick start. Uh, Paralympics Ireland has launched a new fundraising campaign to help Irish para athletes reach the next level. So, the next level campaign, it was launched last Friday by the Paralympics Ireland uh, President John Fulham, who is calling on the public to support current and future Irish para athletes to help them reach the next level of their sport. We're delighted to be joined now by Irish para table tennis athlete Colin Judge, who is here to talk to us today about the Paralympics Ireland's new fundraising campaign, The Next Level. The campaign aims to raise vital funds for para athletes in Ireland and help to promote and support the Ireland's journey to Tokyo 2021 and beyond. So far, the campaign has raised over 70,000 to date, and you can get behind the team online at theparalympics.ie. And I will share that on our Twitter page at the Big Red Bench for anyone that is listening. But, Colin, first of all, Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Big Red Bench. Thanks very much for having me, Valerie. How has life been for you over the last few, uh, last year? Uh, it's been it's been strange, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but I think um, with hindsight, it, it's worked out pretty well. Um, I think the main reason for that is because I was reclassified in 2019. So I didn't have very much time to adjust. Uh, I'll explain a little bit about reclassification in a minute, but... Uh, the pandemic has kind of given me extra time to prepare and I think I've definitely used it to my advantage. Um, training has been really good, especially the second half of the, the pandemic that I've been able to train pretty much full time. So uh, it's definitely uh, been very good from that point of view. And now I'm just kind of looking forward to getting back competing and seeing where I'm at, testing my skills on the big stage. Yeah, before we get into the reclassification, let's tell some let's tell our listeners a bit about you. So you're a qualified actuary, right? But you have taken a career break to focus on getting to the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a tough decision that I had to make uh, back in 20, 2019. Uh, again, probably the, the main reason for that was because I was reclassified and I knew that I had to become a better player in a short space of time. So I, can't, I always knew that I, I wouldn't really reach my potential in table tennis if I was uh, working full time and trying to study on top of that. I knew that I had to commit 110%, especially after missing uh, Rio by one place. Uh, there's very small margins and I didn't want uh, that to be uh, a situation in Tokyo where I'd have regret uh, that I didn't give it my all. So that's what I've done the last two years. I've traveled all around the world and, you know, I have come on a really long way. I haven't uh, reached all the goals that I've set out for myself, but um, I'm confident that uh, if I do get my chance this summer, I'll uh, be better prepared than I ever would have been uh, for Tokyo 2020 or even before that when I was in class two. Brilliant. And all your life, you have been encouraged to play sport and probably to achieve your goals. But tell us about how it all started for you. What age were you when you first started playing? When did you figure out, I'm actually quite good at this? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's a funny one. Uh, I went to an able-bodied school, uh, St. Michael's College. Uh, they're a good rugby school and uh, a lot of my mates all started playing rugby. And I think this was kind of the first time that I uh, found it very difficult to deal with my disability. Uh, I realized there was a lot of things that I couldn't do. And, um, uh, you know, I just I wanted to have a sport. That was the first thing that I wanted to do. And I wanted to get a bit more confidence in myself and I hoped that that would help me uh, deal with my disability. And uh, so I tried out a number of different sports. Wheelchair, wheelchair rugby was the first one that I tried because uh, lads were all playing rugby and this was the closest thing that I could do. So uh, I tried that out and it was a lot of fun, but uh, I wasn't very good at it. I couldn't <laughs> move the wheelchair and bounce the ball. So I think my, my, my wheelchair rugby team are very happy to see me go. Uh, I was a very competitive person and I wanted to win. So uh, when table tennis was, it was the only sport that I could beat my brother at. So I decided that I'd uh, stick with it. And so here I am uh, 12 years later. It's, um, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. And I think uh, table tennis has changed my life in so many ways and shaped me into the person that I've become today. And I owe so much to it and I think that's a big reason why I'm training full-time now and trying to give it my all because I feel I owe that to myself and to the sport but yeah when I first found table tennis yeah it was the first time in my life I, I had a passion a drive and something that made me realize that uh, for all the things that I couldn't do there was a lot that I could do and I think uh, the successes that I've achieved in table tennis is definitely uh, they've definitely translated into other areas of my life and I'm very grateful for that. I can imagine growing up at home and you figuring out that you're really good at this and people are like, oh, no, I'm not taking you on anymore. Go away, Colin. I'm yeah, not yeah. Well, that was the you. only sport that they wouldn't take me on at. I wasn't much good at anything else. So I liked swimming. Swimming, I, love, I always love swimming. I still would like to be swimming a lot. I can't at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, they're my two sports. Brilliant. Well, it's great. It's absolutely amazing. But, but before we get into the reclassification, you know, how, how has COVID impacted your training? You were saying you can't get into the pool and stuff, but for the table tennis-wise, has it impacted much? You're living at home. You used to be traveling a load around the country. I mean, Slovakia and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that I've uh, missed out on, I suppose. Uh, at the start, it was, yeah, it was very difficult to adjust, I think, for everybody. Uh, I, I got a table into my, into my bedroom and you know, the only thing that I could do was practice my serve, which, you know, that sounds like the worst thing in the world to me because serving was something that I never really liked doing, even though it's the most important stroke in table tennis. I always neglected it because it wasn't very much fun and I didn't enjoy it. But when it was the only thing that I could do, uh, I started to like it. And, you know, I think the service practice that I that I uh, did last year, it's definitely stood to me, you know, and it's kind of, uh, I have the habit of doing it now. So I, I do it religiously every week and that's something that I neglected for far too long. So that's one big plus of the first lockdown. And, you know, we got a robot then, so it kind of shoots the balls at me. Uh, so it's not the same as playing with someone, but, you know, I definitely kept my feeling up and, you know, I stayed in shape, I think, during that time. And so then when the the clubs opened, uh, I was more than ready to play. I was really looking forward to it. And, you know, I changed a few things in my technique. Uh, my coach and I worked a lot on Zoom, uh, sort of technical analysis and tactical ana- analysis. So, you know, I suppose you just find ways to adapt. Uh, a lot of those things that I never thought would be beneficial were nearly more beneficial than actually training in a club, which is hard to believe. You know, I, I think we're so busy. Well, pre-COVID anyway, I, I was very busy traveling around and competing and, you know, training all the time in the club. And, you know, I never really looked at the smaller details like, you know, service technique or 
uh, even um, my coach and I have watched a lot of videos of my opponents. So obviously the opponents that are sort of competing for that last slot in Tokyo, I know them very well and I've played against them many times. So, uh, you know, I think looking at them, we've always had matches recorded, but we never really had the time to look at it or certainly never the time to sit down together and comment on it. And I think I learned a lot from that as well. So, yeah, I feel we've used the time uh, very well. And so now I suppose competitions, uh, that's obviously probably the biggest thing that I've missed. But I was lucky enough to get away to Eastern Europe, to Slovakia, um, during last August, September, October. So those, that's, those sort of months, I was very lucky to get away. And, you know, I would have been competing weekly over there and training every day. So that was really good. But now I'm just kind of very much looking forward to the competitions resuming. It's supposed to, um, they're supposed to uh, start up again the 29th of May. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling ready and prepared and looking forward to that. Brilliant. Does your tactics change um, when it comes to different opponents? You go in there with a certain tactic, you're like, right, this person does that, that person does this, I need to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like table tennis is a really complicated sport and I think that was the reason why I was uh, so drawn to it. Like there's so many different ways of playing, so many different styles and um, so many subtle changes that you can make that make a big difference. And that's why I think I found it so difficult at the start. <laughs> you know, I thought I was a good player in Ireland. Then you go away and you see <laughs> players doing all sorts of stuff. And it's just, you know, that, that mixed with the pressure of international competition, you just don't know how to adapt. And uh, so I think uh, looking at these different opponents, I think particularly para table tennis, uh, wheelchair opponents, they've had to find different ways of playing. I think the able body, they, they all play in a more similar way, but in para, it's definitely not the case. There's so many different styles and different disabilities, obviously, and uh, different ways of adapting to different disabilities. And so I think uh, the video analysis that my coach and I have done over the last year, it's definitely going to stand me. I feel like I know my opponents a lot better and strategy is a huge thing for us. You know, obviously we don't have the same physical as a lot of the able-bodied guys, but um, you know, the mental is something that we can always work on. And I feel that uh, I'm a lot stronger in that department um, post COVID. Do you know what we need? I don't know if you've seen The Queen's Gambit, but we need a tennis documentary on you doing this because we want to yeah. see these things. I do. I think that's so interesting. I love The Queen's Gambit. And I, I, yeah, you know, I'd love it for, for myself and obviously for the future. I, you know, table tennis is obviously a minority sport in Ireland mm. and I don't really think that it gets the attention that it deserves and it's something that I'd love to change in the future and I feel if, if I could win a medal on the big stage, maybe that might attract a bit of attention and a little bit of uh, funding towards it because, you know, I, I didn't really have a, a role model or anybody to look up to when I was first starting off. And, you know, I'd love it for the, the young guys coming up behind me if they could have a role model and if, if they could have the same opportunity that I had because I think at the moment they don't, um, especially during COVID. It's been very difficult for them to continue their training. I'm obviously lucky that, you know, I'm made a priority and that, you know, they've organized training for me, but it's, there's obviously there's um, Paris 2024 and there's LA 2028 and you know I'd, I'd love it if someday I could have some teammates because um, a lot of some of the young lads have already been away with me and I find that I perform better myself in that environment having some teammates and people to share the experience with I think it makes a big difference so yeah I'd love it for them as well. 
But I'm sure you're definitely a role model for them coming up behind you, definitely. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you did mention you did mention the reclassification earlier on. How difficult was that? And for people that don't understand, Colin, you know, you might explain the fact that yeah, you yeah. were how how the ranking works and how you know if you would mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Paralympics is classified on the severity of your disability. And the wheelchair table tennis classes go from one to five, one being the most disabled and five being the least physically disabled. And I was classified into class two at the age of 13 and presumed that it was something that was never going to change. But uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, nothing could have prepared me for what the doctors told me on that day. You know, they said that they were sorry that they were going to have to move me up into class three. And it sounds like nothing really, but... Um, it's made a huge, uh, it has had a huge impact on my career. You know, it meant that I, I lost some, a lot of my funding, that I lost my ranking, that I was, have had to compete against athletes that are considerably physically stronger. And worst of all, it, it's put my qualification hopes for Tokyo 2020 seriously in jeopardy. Um, you know, before my reclassification, I was European champion and number four in the world. So I didn't really have any worry of qualifying and, I went from being number four in the world to number 26, which is well outside qualification. So, uh, yeah, it, it's been one of the most difficult things that I've I've ever had to deal with. Um, and a lot of people laugh when I say that after everything that I've been through with my disability. But, you, you know, when, it, when I was growing up, I, I, didn't, I hadn't really achieved very much. And, you know, anything, any sort of medal that I won or any exam that I passed was a big bonus. But at this stage, I'd achieved a lot, more than I ever thought that I would, and I felt that they were taking it away from me, and mm. that was quite tough to take. But with, with hindsight, it's worked, in, it's worked in my favor in many ways. I'm a much better player because of it. Uh, I made the decision to go on sabbatical from my job in 2019. When uh, the reclassification um, happened, I decided I was, I was never going to reach my potential, um, working full-time and trying to study on top of that. And you know, I really wanted to, to give it everything. I knew I'd, I'd won the European Championships. I, I knew that I had a high level inside me and I really wanted to, to give it my all, especially having missed Rio by one place in 2016. I felt that I could still do it. And then obviously when uh, Tokyo 2020 um, was postponed by a year, that uh, was obviously very tough for all athletes, including myself. I was mm -hmm. very annoyed about it at the time because the, the last tournament actually... Um, that happened on the international circuit, I, I won. So that was in uh, February 2020. Uh, that was the Polish Open and I won two gold medals at that tournament. So I was on form and I was kind of, I was still looking good for qualification, but, you know, the extra year has given me a lot of time to reflect and to change certain things in my game. And, uh, yeah, I feel that I'm, I'm twice the player really that I was last year and just really looking forward to Brilliant. getting back to see, yeah, seeing where I'm at now in, uh, in June. So it's June is how this is when you wait and you see if you're supposed to secure the spot for Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. So there's a ranking tournament in Slovenia on the 29th of May, and then the big one is the following week in the same venue in um, in Slovenia, third of June. Brilliant. So that's, well, that's big, hopefully, big hopefully we'll be chatting to you after that, and we'll say that you're on your way to Tokyo. It'd be great, wonderful, Definitely, very best yeah, luck. Yeah. We are, we are here to talk about, we nearly forgot about why we're here to talk about, because I just found your story so interesting and I think people would love to hear it. But yeah. you, we are trying to raise funds because the Paralympics Ireland, they want to support you better. And so it's paralympics.ie and you've nearly 70,000 raised already, which is amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's the public have been hugely generous, and you know, that money, uh, it's an awful lot of money, it goes a, a very long way in uh, supporting us on our journey to Tokyo 2021 and beyond becoming the best athletes that we can be. But for me, it's, it's not even about us elite athletes because, you know, I think a lot of the elite athletes, even though obviously we do need support, we probably don't need it. And I'm speaking for table tennis athletes here. I, I feel that we, we probably don't need it as much as uh, the guys coming up uh, behind us, you know, the Paris 2024, LA 2028, they, they just don't have the resources that we have. And so I'd love it if, obviously, if the money could help um, us uh, win a medal on the big stage and uh, inspire um, guys to start playing table tennis or whatever other sport, uh, that would be fantastic. But I feel the money can definitely go into development as well uh, post-Tokyo 2021. Paris 2024 is only three years away now which is unusual. It's obviously usually a four-year Olympic cycle. Uh, and so I feel that that money um, would be hugely beneficial for, for them also. So it's not just us elite athletes, it's the future as well, which is very important. Brilliant. I will be sharing that link online at the Big Red Bench for anyone that does want to donate. And uh, Colin, don't forget us now when they make your Netflix documentary, all right? <laughs> not at all, Barry. I'd be glad to make a return. <laughs> Into the I studio, maybe. Yeah, exactly. We love, nice. Once COVID's over, you're more than welcome. We'd love to have you <laughs> in court. Yeah, yeah. I won a varsities then in, in the Mardike Arena in UCC, so I enjoyed my time. And uh, there you go. Once you win good something, nightlife, there, yeah. so hopefully when, oh. when things open up, it's uh, it was a nice change of scene for me. Anyway, so. <laughs> a great nightlife is right. Yeah. Oh, we're all. I shouldn't be saying that as an athlete, but sure, no, yeah, I know, I know. You're supposed <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. When, when Tokyo is done, you know. Brilliant. Colin, it was a pleasure chatting to you. The very best look to you. All right, and we hope to see you in Tokyo. Thanks very much for having me, Barry. Have a good day. All right, so Colin George is such a gent with a great, great story. You can follow Colin online and you can also donate at the Paralympics.ie. Now, we're going to keep the Paralympics talk going. So also joining us to speak more on this new fundraising campaign. Um, it is calling the public to help current and future Irish para-athletes to reach the next level. But we're chatting to Irish para-cyclists now. Martin Gordon. Martin, welcome to the Big Red Bench. Delighted to talk to you, Valerie. How are you? Good, I've been keeping great, but how have you been keeping over the last year? Keeping busy, keeping busy, um, looking for, um, as I've said more times in the last year, looking for the opportunity where possible, but um, I think myself and more than everybody else, the last year has definitely been a challenging one, and my challenges are, are different from everybody else's and everybody else's challenges are different from whoever else. But it's definitely been, from an athlete perspective, it's been a tough year. But it has been a year where we've been able to, to find opportunity to get to get fitter and stronger and, and faster in our sports. We've been able to take the disappointment of the game that's been cancelled and turn that into a positive and work on all those different aspects that need a little bit more fine-tuning. And, and that's what we've done for the past year is really kind of you know, we know where the weaknesses were, so let's let's work on them, and that's what we've we've done over the past year. So we've we've looked at, like like everybody else, we've we've looked for where the positives are and and how we can change. Before we get into the Paralympics, you are a Sligo man living in Dublin. How is life at Dublin's moment? That's right. You're still continuing work. So yeah, I've been working from home for the past year. So that and that that definitely has its benefits. I'm a big advocate of working from home. I've loved it. Um, it's really helped in my training. It's it's helped in you know 
with family. I'm, I'm not losing daytime and, and commuting to the office. I'm, I'm not, you know, I've, I've been able to, as I often say, my commute to training is just walking down. It's brilliant. So, um, but like that, it's it's been a slag man and living in Dublin and my other half is from Castle Bar with a, a strong core connection. So we haven't been able to get down home since August last year. We, we, we played it safe at Christmas and we stayed just to, just ourselves in our house in Dublin. And that I think is, is, is for me, like everybody else, the toughest part of this has been not being able to see family and, and spend time with them down at the home place. And so that's, you know, as much as we've looked for the gains in sports, really from a family perspective, we, we were, me, like everybody, you're missing out on, on those really precious things. Yeah, it has been difficult for a lot of people, you know, it has. Being, being stuck at home is a strange thing. Normally, we're such a sociable bunch here in Ireland, you know, it's hard to keep yeah. us at home. But Martin, back to you and back to you being an athlete, you're a cyclist. And when did it all start for you and how did it start for you? Well, it all started for me uh, through Irish Guide Dogs. Um, I'm on my third guide dog and it started for me with a group called the 99ers. In 2007, they do um, an annual trip from Mizzenhead and Cork up to Malin and Donegal and that's when I was coaxed onto the back of a tandem through that group and that's where the, the, the spark that lit the flame started out and through that I started enjoying the back of a tandem and started getting fitter and wanted to explore the sport far more because sport was always a big thing for me growing up uh, before I lost my sight so there was a big void there and I stumbled upon something that definitely filled it and I got involved with the Cycling Ireland Development Programme as an endurance athlete and progressed through that process and raced at an international level in endurance events, so road racing and time trials. And then in 2016, I was uh, able to switch over to what was always going to be my preferred discipline of the sprint. And with the sport of cycling Ireland, that was made possible because it wasn't on the programme prior to that. So I kind of forced that to happen. And um, Cycling Ireland laid down criteria for myself and prospective pilot to meet. We, we identified a potential pilot and we did that. We, we Then we progressed from very, very humble beginnings in getting on a bike together and been a little bit wobbly to where we are now with, with a lot of support, a lot of input, but we, we were given a standard to meet and we worked towards it. We met that standard and now we are in amongst the, the top bikes, um, not only in Ireland, but in, in the world. Yeah. Did something like this give you confidence again, Martin, you know, after being visually impaired? Um, confidence in sport to be able to perform in sport. Um, I didn't, it might sound pretentious or cocky, but I, I didn't lose an awful lot of my confidence, my, my self-confidence when I lost my sight. I always Good. believed in, 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 in progress and getting better and dealing with my, my sight loss. And I did that through my education. So by the time I got on the bike, I was just finished my, my first degree in college. So I was always a little bit, you know, comfortable in who I was and where I was in the world. So... But been able to perform at sport, having been a sport mad person playing football and rugby and golf and all those sports growing up, to get sport back in my life, it wasn't a confidence thing. It was, it was that thing of that outlet, that ambition in sport, that been able to push yourself at a whole, a whole different perspective, a whole different outlet. Been able to get that back was 
it was it was special. It was right. it was like, oh, thank God, where have you been for the past five years? Well, that's amazing. It's amazing to see that you have you've had such amazing success to date, you know, and it's brilliant to see. But has the lack of events been difficult over the last year? You know, especially when you want to compete, you want to be out there competing. Has that been difficult? Yes, it has been difficult because we don't have a velodrome in Ireland. So from a training perspective, we've been hindered. And of course, with no competition happening, that you, you want to be getting into competition. Just, there's nothing like match practice, is there? So yes. without that, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're itching to get out at it. You, you know, now as a sprinter, this training is very high intensity work. It's, it's, you know, you're always really, really, really pushing for it. But getting on the velodrome has been, hasn't happened up until now currently on camp, on the velodrome, we have the best thing we could describe as a competition happening this weekend. We have trials which will emulate um, international race conditions. So we're going to have that opportunity. It's as good as a competition. We know what we have to do on Saturday. We're, We're going for a big time. We want to secure our ticket to Tokyo this week. So that that's our objective. And that's as much pressure as any race event uh, at the international um, events, world championships, whatever it might be. It's as big as for us, if not bigger. Is it, is it this weekend so that you're on the first yeah. qualification, Martin? Well, we won't be guaranteed qualification this weekend. Okay. What will happen is we will be given a trial for us to meet a standard to fulfill the domestic selection criteria. Okay. And that'll be the best opportunity for us as a sprint bike to do it on the velodrome. But the qualification window remains open until the 13th of June when the endurance riders will finish up in their road world championships. So until that window is closed for qualification, we just got to sit tight. So we got to deliver this weekend and then sit tight and continue training. What's the competition like? Is it fierce? Oh, yeah. Well, look, every Irish bike is at a very, very, very high standard in what they do. There's, there's, we are all, everybody on this squad is at the highest level of what they do. So there's, 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 no one's guaranteed anything. And then at the international standard, I can only really speak for my own event. The standard there is, it's, it's incredible. Like, we go every bit as fast, if not faster than, in some cases, the Olympians. Mm-hmm. Those people you see, you might call them able bodies or Olympians, whatever. My own discipline is every bit as fast as them, if not. And the world record for the one kilometer time trial is held by a tandem, faster than, than the able body. So that, that's the kind of level we're at. And what would it mean for you to reach the Games? I mean, Martin, it would absolutely be amazing. It would be absolutely everything, everything. To be this close to it, we all grow up watching the Olympics, watching the Paralympics, watching World Championships, watching the Tour de France, the Six Nations, and these are the things we dream of. And to be this close to it and to be able to get there and to be in amongst the Paralympic community will be incredible. But as I've always said, I don't just want to be coming home with the label of, oh, now I'm a Paralympian. I want to come and say, I just did the performance of my life. And whatever that performance does, whatever it is on the day, that's what I want to go out there and do, is give absolutely everything I can in recognition of all the support that I've had as an athlete, all the support that we have had from the public in waving flags, screaming at their televisions, all that incredible support that Paralympics have had in this fundraising campaign. Because... That is, for us, the best way to support us in these games is to get behind us on paralympics.ie and support us there because 
from an infrastructural perspective, service provision, we need so much more work on the ground to help us as athletes to perform. And the best way we can do that is people getting behind us. And then when you see us all on your TV screens in August, we'll be putting in the performance of our lives to say thank you to the people of Ireland for their support because it's a team effort, us and the public. Yeah, and do you know what? I We've had a look and the funds are at 70k at the moment, Martin, which is great. Which is an incredible amount of money. With nearly 2,000 individual donations. I, all of those people, it is with the greatest gratitude that we, we, we thank those people for doing that and, and encourage another 2,000 people to do the same if they wouldn't mind. It'd be brilliant. And we're, we, this, this campaign, it, it's, it's, it's going and it's going so well and we just need to keep that momentum going and right up into through these games and it'll really lay down the foundation for the next games as well. Brilliant. Well, Paralympics.ie is where you can donate if you're listening to us this evening on the big red bench and you would like to donate. And um, Martin, it was great chatting to you and the very best luck this weekend. I really uh, thanks so much, Valerie. You're as I'll good. Be, Thank you. I'll be keeping an eye on it now and to make sure and see how you get on the weekend. And hopefully we'll be chatting to you again before you go to Tokyo. All right. Look forward to it, Valerie. Take care of yourself. That was Martin Gordon chatting to you during the week, para cyclist athlete. Paralympics.ie is the place to go if you would like to donate anything at all. Um, absolutely amazing. And you heard him there that they'll do their best on the stage in August and we can't absolutely wait. It's going to be amazing. Now, looking at the Pro 14 a final, it is Leinster at 13, Monster 6 is probably about 62 minutes on the clock. So Monster have some time to try and fight back there. Also, we have a starting team for Ireland and Luxembourg. They're is a senior debut in goals Travers has been dropped to the bench James Collins comes in for Connolly and Jason Knight comes into midfield you'd have to feel sorry for Travers I suppose for after you know everything that's happened during the week and probably the abuse he faced online you'd like for him to have gotten a chance maybe to prove himself but here we are we will be chatting to we will be hearing from Stephen Kenny a little later on the show and also we're going to get reaction from the Cork City game and we've Anya Garman they're all on the way next the Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM Welcome back to the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM with me Valerie Wheeler with you until 7pm Now let's take a look at the League of Ireland Cork City got their new season off to a winning start last night when they defeated Cove Ramblers 2-1 at Turner's Cross it was the first all-Cork local derby in the League of Ireland in 13 years. And after the match, our very own Colin O'Sullivan spoke to City boss Colin Healy. We're with the gaffer, Colin Healy. Colin, good to get off to a winning start. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was, it was good to get to three points. Um, difficult game. It always is against Cove. But um, yeah, three points and we're off to a good start, yeah. As you said, it was a tough game. You took the lead. Cove got back into it, took the lead again. And there was a good few chances for both sides. And it got kind of scrappy in the second half as well for a while. Um, but I mean, it, it was it was a tough game for you. And that's the way it's going to be in this division, isn't it? No, it, it was a tough game. And listen, Cove made it difficult for us. And Cove, and Cove played very well. There was a lot of chances, in, in this, especially in the second half. It was, it was, they had possession, we had possession. But it was, um, I thought overall... Um, you know, it was it was good to get the three points, but um, it was I think it was a scrappy performance. But first game of the season is always like that. Three points is the most important thing, and uh, we look forward to, to next week. Obviously, there was no crowds here tonight, but it didn't kind of take away from the feistiness of the game. It was a real local derby, wasn't it? It always is, and, and it's good to, and, and it's good for that. You know, lads, they, they played against each other before. Lads are throwing in tackles, and it shows what it means to them. Um, you know. 
a kind of a mixed preseason results wise but uh, you got some good run outs against some good teams do you think that stood to you tonight? Yeah no it did I mean preseason's all about getting fitness into the players and all that kind of stuff and we're not probably looking at results in preseason at all but the most important thing here was when it comes to league games and I suppose you get three points and, and that's what we did tonight yeah, A couple of the new signings in tonight as well we were just chatting to George Heaven good to see these guys get on the pitch at Turners Cross No it's great it's great and it's uh, it's, it's great to the lads you know to, to see the stadium um, you know and obviously obviously to play to play here as well like, but it's um, there's a good bunch of lads after coming in this year like so it's um, and it's important that you know um, we get off to a good start It's something Cork City aren't used to as the first division but I mean it's going to be a competitive first division this year we've spoken about it before the teams that are in it I mean Cove really tough game tonight a lot of good teams in the first division the likes of Galway Shelburne Bray loads of them It's going to be tough every week it's only good it's going to be tough every week and we know that as well and it, it was no different here tonight you know Cove put up a very good performance and um, you know as I said we got to three points but it's going to be like that every week Good to see some of the young lads getting the score sheet as well Keane Bargery tonight Yeah listen listen, Bagsy listen to Bagsy over the years and listen Bagsy Bagsy's got goals in him he's a good chance in the first half as well like, but he has that he has that for his game and it's, um, it was great for him tonight to get the goal that was Colin Healy chatting to Colm O'Sullivan last night. Uh, we're also going to get new Cork City signing George. Got man of the match in last night's win over Cove Ramblers. Colm O'Sullivan was also speaking to George. Sloppy game. I think it was a bit, it was a usual first game of the season, but to come out of three points is the main thing and the lads are delighted. But like I say, we've got another gear that we can step up to and uh, if we're winning playing like that, then there's a lot to work on and some good results going to come by. Cove put it up to you tonight. She took the lead. Cove got back in the game took the lead a second time but even then Cove had chances and it was it was a really tough game wasn't it definitely it was uh, it was all that it was uh, meant to be I mean they were a good side very scrappy I think we played we played into their hands a little bit by um, playing their solid football but we never really got going so I think once we get going we, we, we've got a good chance in this league definitely a good chance there was no crowds here tonight but that didn't matter there was a lot of fight in the game there was a, a bit of argy-bargy at the end it was a real local derby now it just shows the passion from both sides I mean we're not here just to mess around we're here to play we want to win games and we want to get back up the league so um, we're not yeah we're here to play that was your first taste to turn us across tonight how did you find it yeah it was fantastic I loved it it was a brilliant stadium and uh, everyone around is lovely and it's, it's a nice place just can't wait to get the fans back in it'll be, it'll be good luck how are you finding life in Cork and life at Cork City so far yeah it's good really enjoying it all the lads have uh, welcomed me and uh, showed me around uh, can't ask for much more it's brilliant the gaffer's, the gaffer's great and uh, everyone around it's lovely lovely people as we said winning start three points on the board now you want to keep that going another big game against Cabinteely next week then back here in two weeks time against Athlone it was important to get the three points tonight and I mean it's going to be a tough tough league with the likes of we saw Galway and uh, Shelburne playing each other tonight a lot of good teams in the league yeah definitely it's, a, it's actually a really good league and um, it's going to be a lot of games that down here in a way that are going to be massive so we just need to focus on taking each game as they come, getting a bit of momentum and just just, just, just grinding, grinding results. If we're getting clean sheets, we need to focus on that. Obviously, we conceded tonight, but um, I think goals goals are going to come. You see, we've got one set piece. We've been working and training on that. So, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. Love tonight, George. Thanks. Thanks mate. Thank you. I think Colm sounds more excited to be there than George, really, to be honest. Anything to be back at live sport for there, Colm. Now, also, let's hear from Cove Ramblers manager Stuart Ashton. He, who thought his team, team played well despite losing out to City. Colm was also chatting to him. We had chances early on, which I thought we should have took. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't do. And then we've gone a goal behind. Um, and obviously they tried to take the sting out of it then, but I, I felt that we kept our momentum going um, and we got back into the game. And I think then when we're in the game, 
we were still the better side again, you know. Um, and again, we've given away a sloppy goal, the second one. Yes, we're trying to play, which is fair enough. I don't mind that. But again, it was the reaction from that one when we've lost it. I felt we could have done better. Um, obviously, to stop the goal going in. And from my point of view, it was a sloppy one. Um, but o- overall, as I say already, the the, the way we played and the commitment we had was a proud, proudest punch of the lads. I thought we, we did a, a great account of ourselves. Um, again, unlucky in the final result, but that that ain't good enough. We've, we've got to learn from that, and, and that's the key. That's what I've said there. That's the learning point tonight is that, you know, for all the possession and all the play we had and the good stuff we had, one, we've got to make those into goals, uh, which we didn't do. And secondly, we've got to stop giving the, the sloppy things away. You know, we, we've got to we've got to learn from that. And I said in there that they've got to learn from that. And you know, a, a one-all, we're back in the game and we're on top with ten minutes to go. So we've got we've got to decide. The, you know, one-all away from home is that a great result? Yes, it is. You know, you know they're they're one of the favourites to be to go back up. So, you know, from that point of view, we've got to learn that. Um, you know, we can say they're young lads and everything in there. And as I said, the commitment and the way we played was excellent tonight. But again, the learning curve here tonight is that you know we we've got to know when to be, as they said in today's modern game, the dirty side of it. You know, and we didn't do that enough. Uh, you know, yes, we went one nil down. All right, that was then we had enough time to get back in the game. They had a spell then, obviously, straight after that, which was obvious because they started pinging it around. The bit of freedom they had, we had to go chasing it, which I thought we did well. Um, we kept our shape and we we stay organised. Um, but again, the killer blow in the last what was it, ten minutes? I think 80, 80 minutes or something like that. Like yeah. What happened with the attacker? Was Valerio over there? Yeah. I think, I think they were the two of them were having a bit of a argy bargy from a throw-in originally, and they've I think they've had words, and then they've come across and they've bumped one another, and if we've been honest, he's gone down. I don't know whether he's caught him or not, but I don't I don't think it was a, a elbow in the face or anything like that. Being honest with you, I think he's gone down, and then I've I've you know that's that's not acceptable. What happened there? The you know twenty men in the middle. I've given my lads what far over that like, and you know they've held their hands up as such like because that's that's not us and that's not part of us. That's not part of the game either, and I don't agree with that. So that was that was wrong. Full stop. And we had a part in that which was not acceptable. Just a word on John Griffin. A fantastic goal he took tonight, but coming from Springfield Ramblers to Cove Wanderers to Cove Ramblers, it's a big moment for for football and Cove. Yeah, exactly, and we're delighted. Um, obviously, one for his debut, and then to score, and then to be a local lad as, as well. Like you know, so brilliant. You know, we're delighted for him, and obviously for ourselves that he's part of the club, and hopefully he has a big future for the club. That was Rory and Colm, of course, chatting and getting all that audio for us last night at the Cork City game. Um, there is probably not long left in the Pro 14 and it is Leinster 16, um, Munster 6. We should have a full-time report from Neil Tracy, who's at the RDS for us in just a little bit. 
But during the week, Aviva launched, um, Aviva Ireland and the Football Association of Ireland have launched the Aviva Soccer Sister. It's a virtual skills hub programme for 2021. We're all at home. We need something to keep us entertained and the young ones. It is specifically designed for young girls to take part in during the upcoming Easter break. It is a free online initiative and it was launched Monday by Republic of Ireland's women's national team player Anya Gorman as part of their Safe to Dream team campaign. Um, I caught up with her. She's also Piedmont United Football baller player Anya O'Regan uh, let's Anya Garman excuse me Anya welcome to the show Hi how are you thanks for having me Good how have you been keeping the last while Yeah good I suppose um, it's nice that we're able to get back out and, and play football and we've had a, a long pre-season a, a tough pre-season I suppose so looking forward to the league kicking off now this Saturday yeah, so I do know that you had hung up the boots there a couple of years ago and you decided, you know what, it wasn't enough and you came back and you're obviously happy with your decision that you're still playing. Yeah, definitely. Like I think um, when I got the opportunity to go back, I, I obviously would have regretted it if I didn't take the opportunity. And yeah, I'm delighted to be back. And it kind of felt like I never left, to be honest. But maybe the, the break did me a little bit of good just to, to refresh and recharge and go again. Why the change of mind? Um, yeah, I suppose uh, when I stepped back, I was uh, happy with my decision. And then um, obviously uh, Vera came in and, and Eileen Gleeson um, came in as the assistant coach. And um, I was obviously looking, I was doing punditry on the games uh, for TA, the Ukraine game. And it was, it was a, an impressive performance as well. And then I suppose uh, uh, I was just asked if, if I want to go back there a bit, bit short uh, players and kind of the full back positions as well so it's just the opportunity I, I suppose I I couldn't turn down and uh, went straight back in and like I said it, it never felt uh, like I left and obviously it didn't go all according to plan and, and we didn't qualify for the Euros but look hopefully the, the World Cup, Cup campaign will go well. How did you find the punditry role being at the other side of the microphone commentating on players instead of you know you were the one that was running around? Yeah, like do you know what I really actually enjoyed it and I was grateful to to get them opportunities. I suppose you can you can it's a good learning experience as well because you take a step back and you you look at the whole picture and the tactics and and the analysis of players. I think sometimes when you're playing, you're going to play just focus on your role and, and your job, I suppose, within the team. So yeah, it was a it was a breath of fresh air, I think, I suppose, just to step back and, and overlook and it was the the Ukraine game, I suppose, and Talis stand out for me as a an emphatic performance and a, a great win. You mentioned Vera a few moments ago. We did see a couple of weeks ago she signed a new contract in 2023, which is great. Yeah, I think so. I think it gives us some continuity from the last campaign to this campaign. It gives us good momentum going into it. And we'll look, hopefully we'll have some games in preparation and, and get a good draw and we'll, we'll hit the ground running then, I suppose. And, um, for Vera, it's been unlucky that she came in for that Ukraine game and hasn't had any uh, opportunity to have any friendly games uh, today as well. So, yeah, it'd be, be really good to get out and, and get some training. But it's an it's an improving group on you, new players, you know, it's all it does all lead to positive signs. Yeah, definitely. Like I think the the group of players that's in there now, there's a really good mix of uh, youth and experience. There's some really good young players coming through the ranks like Ellen Malloy down in Wexford who's uh, got her first cap this year as well. So look, the future is really bright. We have Kane McCain and Issa Sullivan who we know are of outstanding quality and then there's some really good uh, experienced players as well who are still at the top of the game Louise Quinn Nifahi to, to name but a few Yeah qualifying for the World Cup is obviously the goal Yeah definitely I think it's always the goal I suppose going into a qualifying tournament it's 
it was always a dream, I suppose, to, to play in the major tournament. And I think that's the next step we really need to take to, to boost women's football in Ireland. And you're going to hang on in there as well as long as beer, I hope. I will give it a bash anyway. I'll have to take it to get game by game and see how it goes. And obviously uh, the body's still good for now, touch one. So, so we'll see where it takes us. The draw's in April, isn't it? Yeah, April. I'm not sure exactly of the date, but um, yeah, sometime in April the draw is. So, so looking forward to to seeing where uh, we'll, we'll be going for the qualifiers. Yeah, you'll a couple. You'll have a couple of months of hard training and hopefully some friendlies, as you mentioned. Like you'd probably need to get some friendlies under your belt. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that'll be key as well in preparation phase, just to, to get some friendlies in and to build up to the because the games then just start to come ticking fast, and sometimes you can play two games each international wins as well. So there's not a lot of preparation time. So. Yeah, it'd be really good to, to meet up as a, as a group. We haven't seen each other in a while and get some training under our belt and preparation and hopefully some friendly games. When are you due back training? Um, so I think there's an international, there's meant to be an international window in April. So we're just waiting on that, obviously, to, to be confirmed. Do you find it hard when some of the girls are playing abroad and some of you are here in Ireland? Do you find that difference difficult? Yeah, I think it is sometimes, you know, um, Obviously, um, doing home-based sessions here in Ireland helps us just kind of to bridge that gap as well. And I think Vera's spoken about going and um, training with the boys as well, which COVID has obviously been a been a barrier uh, at the moment to to allow that to happen. Just so refreshing, ready, we're prepared at that level. I suppose to go into the international setup. But look, it's the same for a lot of teams, I suppose. And um, at the moment, then um, obviously we've got players um, around the world and playing in some of the, the best leagues in the world, which is great for the international team too. How do you find training with the men's? With the yeah, look, we haven't really had an opportunity to do it too much now because uh, obviously COVID restrictions and stuff like that. But it's something I would have grown up playing with the boys, uh, playing football. And when I was younger, I would have played with the in the Marine Talent Boys setup as well, just to to get extra sessions in when I broke through and see international scene. So yeah, look, it's it's no different, I suppose. And and they respect us, and we respect them. We just get on as game of football. Yeah, the league is back this weekend. You're obviously itching to get back into action. Yeah, dying to get going, I suppose. Uh, uh, no more friendlies, uh, competitive games now with three points at the end. And, and that's where it's at, I suppose. So, yeah, look, uh, tough game. Opening game against Wexford down in Ferry Carrick. And wonder, no illusions that, that this could be the most competitive season today. And um, we'll, we'll have to be at our, our best weekend week out. For you, you have a lot of young players. A lot of players are gone, but you have a lot of young players in. Yeah, I think so. Like um, young Becky Watkins and Dallin Doherty have really set their mark on the team. Um, really good uh, quality young players um, coming through the ranks as well. We still have a lot of strength and depth and I think the manager, James O'Callaghan, will have a headache still picking the starting 11. So uh, uh, we'll have uh, strong substitutes coming on to replace like for like, which is a, a great position to be in. Having the sponsorship this year is huge, Anna, Anya. Yeah, massive, I think, um, I think uh, obviously to share the sponsorship for the men's team, we're going to have no sponsorship last year. To, to share with the men's team was great and shows parity, I suppose, across white boards and and we're using the same platforms and, and social media. And I think already you can it's evident that their promotion of the league has been a lot better. And of course, we'll be able to watch some of the games, which is a big, massive plus. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great, isn't it? Um, I was delighted when that got named to LOITV. Yeah, uh, they're for free as well. So all the women's national league games will be streamed for free. So hopefully, we'll get it good audience tuning in and then when the crowds are allowed back in we'll, we'll get more fans in to, to support us. I did see just there this morning I presume you've seen yourself that the Women's League will be live on Sky which is another massive breakthrough for everyone here and abroad yeah. you know. 
Like, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, they've done a package of Sky and BBC. I think it's mm-hmm. forty-four games throughout the, the season, really, which is which is great, and it's another massive step for for women's football. And um, I think BT at the moment show a few of the games, and, and they're always a great watch. I suppose it's probably one of the most competitive leagues now. Now in the world, they're attracting some World Cup winners from America. Obviously, they have the best Irish talent and um, players coming from Germany, Wolfsburg. So, uh, yeah, yeah, really good times ahead. And we're really nowhere, I suppose, where the English League's at now when they went to the Champions League uh, mm-hmm. this week with Chelsea playing Wolfsburg and Man City playing Barcelona as well. So, yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, look, it's very exciting times and I know it's baby steps, but I know people are getting there and media are getting behind it, which is absolutely amazing to see. But you did join us because Aviva Insurance launched the Virtual Soccer Sisters for 2021 program. It's back and it's part of their Safe to Dream team campaign. It kicks off on the 29th of March and what an amazing platform for young people to have some skills shown and for you to be able to show them some skills also on you. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's really important, especially this year because the impact COVID had, I suppose, and um, people aren't able to get out to their training sessions, play football with their friends as well. So it's a really good opportunity to to learn some new skills and, and touch up on your skills from home and share them online as well. And and um, this year for the first year, the football for all um, got involved as well. So um, all the skills are adapted for um, children with uh, specific needs as well. So that was a really, really nice addition. Brilliant. I saw some lovely photos of you online this morning launching it. So it was great to get out and about. I presume in COVID, we're all being kept out in 5K. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I appreciate how lucky I am, I suppose. <laughs> well, look, very best of luck this weekend. I'm sure we'll be chatting to you again before the qualifiers. All right, Anya? Yeah, thanks. Chat to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Anya Garman there chatting. And since um, Ireland will take on Denmark at home on the 8th of April, and they also will have a trip to Belgium three days later. From the women's to the men's, Ireland's World Cup qualifying, its second step is tonight, 7.45. Let's take a listen to Stephen Kenny. Well, you know... Uh, uh, it's not my intention to give the team away, you, you know, to give any advantage to the opposition. But I thought it was, I thought it was a really good performance today. I felt uh, so many good. Um, we can gain a lot of confidence from it. That's what I feel. We can gain a lot of confidence from the game. I think we showed great composure and possession. We showed good understanding of <laughs> uh, tactically about the game itself against Serbia. I think the players uh, used the width of the pitch really well. They passed it sharp and incisively and created some chances and scored two goals. Obviously, we're not happy with... Um, you know, we've not conceded too many chances, so concede three goals from from sort of four chances. Um, we wouldn't be, wouldn't be pleased about that. But overall, I thought it was a very good display and the players can take confidence from that going into, into this game now. Yeah, no, it's important that we win the game, you know. I think it is it is important, there's no doubt about that. I think um um you know, it's only the campaign is eight games. Um so I t- listen, I, I really feel we deserved a point in 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 Belgrade. Um there's a couple of pivotal moments in the game, obviously. Um, that I'd spoken about you tonight. One, obviously, the penalty decision against Aaron Connolly and the second one, the concession of our second goal was, was certainly a pivotal moment. So I think, um, you know, it's important then that we bounce back from that and, and, and try and beat Luxembourg tomorrow. Uh, Luxembourg have had uh, a lot of good form recently and had some good wins to their credit. Um, so they're not the Luxembourg of old. They're, they're a different proposition. 
but nevertheless uh, it's a game that we must look to try and win the way you achieve success generally is through through continuity so it, it is a contradiction to say that but you do have to adapt you know and sometimes depending on what players you have available and the opposition you face the um, you know we played 3-4-1-2 um, the other night against Serbia I think sometimes when you've got Seamus Coleman and Matt Doherty in the same team you've got Kieran Clark who's a, a left footed player can play on the, in the back three and you've got Enda Stevens and Matt Doherty who traditionally have played as wing backs for their clubs um, and you have a striker like Aaron Connolly who is suited to playing in a, in a front two um, playing against a 3-4-3 system that um, Serbia play it made, it made sense it made a lot of sense you know and I felt the players took information on board very quickly and um, I thought they were excellent overall really good performance but uh, really good and when I watched it back again it reiterated that you know it just said you know the players are very good on the night and you know definitely we we've left at least one point behind us and we're disappointed with that but uh, the atmosphere is very very good morale is good it's different than the other camps probably because we haven't had COVID influence in this camp and that, that has had a major impact on our other camps um, I think we've always lost players and it was in the infancy really of of COVID in sort of September, October where people weren't sure the impact of it the impact on their families was that sort of uncertainty and that decimated our camp really this this feels different this feels like morale is really good players are very relaxed and uh, they played well the other night disappointed to lose so we want to sort of put in it we want to put in that level of performance but win tomorrow that has to be the objective you know that has to be the objective for Stephen Kenny chatting ahead of Ireland's qualifier tonight it is 7.45 now Leinster have beaten Munster 16-6 in the Guinness Pro 14 a final unfortunately Neil Tracy was at the RDS let's take a listen Leinster 16 Munster 6 Leinster are Guinness Pro 14 champions for the fourth season in a row after a tense but thoroughly deserved win against Munster at the RDS the scoreline probably unreflective of their control Munster barely coming within striking distance of the try line the first half was old school cup rugby Leinster squandering a number of promising try scoring chances Scott Fardy's effort held up over the line Ross Burns two penalties were cancelled out by Joey Carberry as the sides went to the sheds level at six points apiece but the defending champions hit the ground running at the start of the second half Jack Conan burrowing over for a Leinster try after a period of sustained pressure on the Munster line Munster were struggling to land any punch whatsoever and with 11 minutes left Ross Byrne tagged on another penalty to make it a 10 point match putting two scores between the sides they saw things out with minimal fuss running down the clock to secure an 8th domestic title for Munster it was an all too familiar outcome a record 6th defeat in a row against their neighbours and their 10 year wait for silverware rolls on Leinster are the Guinness Pro 14 champions. They've beaten Munster by 16 points to 6. Thanks, Neil. That was Neil Tracy at the RDS for us. So, yeah, Leinster have beaten Munster 16-6 in the Pro 14 final. Now, the Ireland game is 7.45. Enjoy the game. Let's hope it's a win. Rory's on tomorrow night at 6 and I'll be back next Saturday from 6pm. Stevie G is on the way next. Slon. The Big Red Bench.
Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.